that we can be here together to worship God. I wasn't really sure if this microphone was going to work, but I'm glad that it is. Uh, again, I hope you guys are having a good weekend. Glad that we can start our week off the very best way that we can, uh, worshiping together, worshiping God, and uh, enjoying each other's fellowship. We want to let you know before we get into our sermon about two opportunities we have uh, this week. One's tonight. We're having our uh, second Sunday singing, so that will be this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll meet over in the uh, smaller auditorium and have a time of singing, and then we also will have our finger food fellowship so if you're coming back for that uh, bring some finger foods and we'll meet in the fellowship hall following our singing uh, and we'll enjoy some time together so that's tonight six o'clock second sunday singing and finger food fellowship please uh, join us for that uh, if at all possible Uh, and then this coming saturday we have a service opportunity Uh, we're calling it the uh, ja family meals on wheels but really it's for everybody there's an opportunity for you to do something uh, for everybody the men's ministry is a part of this kids avenue is a part of this Uh, everyone is invited and welcome to come Uh, What we're going to do at 5 o'clock is we're going to meet and share a meal together uh, so everybody can come and be a part of that. About 5.30, our Kids Avenue and maybe the moms are going to go and do a a craft uh, that we're going to uh, take along with a meal uh, at 6 o'clock to some some shut-ins and some folks that uh, could use that that type of thing. So be here at 5 o'clock for a meal from 5.30 to 6. We're going to share that or we're going to do that uh, craft project and then the men's ministry is going to pack the the meals and then at 6 o'clock, families and anybody else who's here uh, will be taking those uh, to some families uh, around the, the community. So please uh, come and be a part of that. We would love for you to make sure that you are a part of that great service opportunity. Uh, as we said last week, this year our theme for the year is better. Uh, we want to, to be better individually. We want to be better in our families. We want to be better as a congregation. Uh, but what we mean by that is we're seeking something greater than what the world has to offer. And again, that's in every aspect of our life. Uh, and, and really from uh, all of January, we're focusing on that. But we're going to switch it up just a little bit, shift it the next four weeks because there's uh, five weeks this month. So for the next four weeks, in line with the better theme, we're going to be talking about don't settle. Don't settle for what the world has to offer. And we'll look at a few different things. Uh, and today we're going to be in uh, two, two passages, one in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 24. That's where we'll start. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Joshua 24 will be there in just a few minutes. Uh, and then we'll look more in depth at the passage that was read to us earlier uh, from the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Joshua 24. And again, um, this morning, We're talking about don't settle and this idea of we want something better, we're looking for something greater than what the world has to offer. Well, if we want to get there, we can't settle for what the world has to offer. We can't settle for where we're at. We have to continue to to want to and to strive to do our part in getting better, all right? In the Old Testament, of course, our God, the God of the Hebrews, is talked about the most, but there are a number of other gods that are talked about. Uh, you might be able to think of, of, of many of those, but probably the one that, that comes up the most, his name is called Baal. Uh, Baal in the area of Palestine or the area of where we think about the Bible taking place, especially the Old Testament, uh, Baal was a generic god of fertility. Uh, he was not just the God that we may often think of the Canaanites or those people who lived in the promised land before the Israelites took it, took the promised land. Uh, he was a God for them, and we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But Baal was a generic God, maybe even a generic term for some God of fertility. Now, when I say fertility, yes, that means, uh, you know, having babies, but it also probably even more prominently means gardening and plants and crop production and that sort of thing. Of course, the, all of those 
uh, cultures would have been very uh, based in agriculture. They would have known the importance of growing food. It wasn't the same as it is today where they went to, to grocery stores and picked up some, some canned corn, right? If they wanted to eat something, they had to grow it themselves. They had to cultivate it themselves. And so for them, of course... If that was something that was important and much more scarce than it is for us today, they would recognize the importance of, hey, we need all the help that we can get to cultivate and to grow these crops. And so a lot of different cultures came up with a God, some in various forms, that were gods of fertility. Uh, And Baal was one that was used throughout different cultures, different nations, different people groups, all throughout the area of Palestine. Now, for the Canaanites, and again, the Canaanites are the people who, who lived in what we would think of as the promised land, what we would think of as Palestine, what we would think of as Jerusalem, and all the, the area of the 12 tribes. Uh, those are the people who lived there before. Uh, and for them, Baal was more than just a generic god. They had some pretty specific things that he was the god over. He was the god of fertility. He was the god over the moon, so he would move and direct the the phases of the moon. He was the god of rain and dew. He was the god of land. Okay, so now think about it. We've talked about these these, uh, agriculture societies, these societies that are based heavily on agriculture and the importance of that and growing their own food. And this, this god for the Canaanites would have been a very important god. He controls the rain or the moisture that would grow the crops. He controls the land where the crops grow. He controls the phases of the moon that has something to do with the seasons and the changing of times and, and all these types of things that, again, would, would tie into uh, the timing of when you plant and when you harvest and all of these things. I think it would be safe to say that while they may not have considered in this, we would call Baal or consider God, Baal the god of farming, Okay. One thing we'll talk about maybe more later is when you're farming, you're, there's something that you, you have to have in order to be a farmer. You have to have land, right? Land that you're going to stay at. Uh, many of you probably have had, a, have had or maybe even now have a garden. That shows you how much I know about gardening. I'm not really sure if it's gardening season or not. Uh, probably not. It's wintertime, so that wouldn't make much sense. Uh, I've had a garden once or twice in my life. As you can tell, I'm very well-versed in that sort of thing. Um, but what I've noticed with gardening is it takes time, right? You know, you don't just put the, the seed in the ground and the next day you've got tomatoes on the vine. That's not how it works. It takes some time. And not only does it take time, it takes care and cultivation. You plant the seed, you water the seed, and God gives the increase, right? Not only with souls, but also with, uh, with um, uh, crops. So we understand that it, it takes time. Now, that's going to be an important thing. Uh, Baal is the god of farming. He's the god of the land. He's the god of the rain. He's the god of the moon phases. He's the god of all these things. I think that we could say, and as I have called him for today's lesson, Baal would represent today the god of settling. The god of settling. Now that'll mean something. It did mean something to the Israelites. We'll get into that here in just a minute in Joshua 24. But I also want us to think about what does that mean for us? What is the god of settling for you today? Not only in your professional career, not only in your family life, not only in your personal life, but in your spirituality, in your spiritual life. That it's supposed to go throughout all of those areas of your life because you're a Christian first and then you're whatever else you are as a believer. Uh, How does the God of settling tempt us today? All right, in Joshua uh, chapter 24, we're going to talk about this God, Baal, but let me give you a couple more things. Uh, Let me tell you two things that would have been detestable about the God, Baal, uh, to certainly to us, 
we would think to the Israelites and definitely to God. Okay, uh, the God Baal, two things that were a part of worship to him is they had uh, temple prostitution, okay? So just like most gods during that time, they had a temple, they had places where they would go and worship. Just like the God of the Hebrews did, our God had a temple eventually in Jerusalem, okay? They had a, a central place where uh, worship was offered to him. Now, part of that worship was uh, prostitution, and we know what that is if we know what that is, and we're not gonna go into it, but that would be detestable, right? That would be something we would look at and say, how in the world can that be part of worshiping a God? But it was, not unique to Baal, uh, really not unique to, uh, to that region. We know that the Romans had that later too, but something we can recognize is that's, that's not right. That's, that's not good. That's not what uh, the God of the Hebrews certainly would want. But maybe, maybe even worse than that, something certainly that, that most cultures throughout time would have looked on and said, how in the world is that part of worship to a God? In some religions that worship this Baal, and certainly in the Canaanite religion, also uh, connected with the god Molech, which is another uh, pagan god of the Old Testament, uh, one of the things that they would do to worship Baal would be human sacrifice. Uh, And not just any human sacrifice, they would offer their children as sacrifice to God. They would even offer their babies as sacrifice to God, burning them alive. What in the world would drive any people to follow that god if that was part of worship? What would, what would drive the Israelites who know the God of the Old Testament, who have followed the God of the Old Testament, who have been blessed by the God of the Old Testament, what would drive them to worship a God that would demand such and worship to him? Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, we are reaching the, the end of Joshua's life. It's a familiar passage to many of us, especially a certain section of it. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 16, uh, which is a, a, lengthy, uh, a lengthy passage, but I want you to, to stick with it because it does a lot of what uh, I was going to do. He's going to Joshua at the end of his life. He's gathering all the people together, and he's reviewing the, the story of the Israelites up to this point, which is important for us today. So I'm going to let Joshua's words, God's words through Joshua, uh, speak it for us. Okay, Joshua chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 1. Then Joshua, uh, okay, back up there. Not everybody knows who Joshua is. Joshua up to this point has been the leader of the Israelites. Most of us know who Moses is. When Moses was around, Joshua was the leader of the army. He was the, the, the general of the army. He would be the ones who would lead the people into battle, okay? When Moses died, Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites, okay? He's the earthly uh, leader of the Israelites. So that's who we're talking about. This is the end of Joshua's life. Here's what he has to say. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Okay, he's reminding them. He's, he's walking them through a history of who they are as a people. Okay, he starts with Abraham before they're even the Israelites. He even goes back even further to, to Abraham's father living in a distant, distant land, not really where we normally talk about when we think about uh, the Old Testament. Verse three, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I smote Egypt by what I did in its midst. And after that, uh, I brought you out. 
and I brought brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Then they cried out to the Lord. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw it, what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for many days. So he's walking through everything that we as uh, if you've gone to, to a vacation Bible school, you probably talked about this kind of thing. If you've been to Bible class as a kid, certainly if you have any familiarity with the Old Testament at all, you know these things, okay? Uh, the Jacob became the Israelites. They go to Egypt for a little while because of the famine. Remember, Joseph is there. Uh, then they turn into slaves there, and he sends Moses and Aaron to, to deliver them. Uh, and now, now they're kind of wandering around in the wilderness is where he's left it off. Verse number eight. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who live beyond the Jordan, And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hands, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zipporah, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he blessed you repeatedly, and I delivered you from his hand. And you crossed the Jordan. Okay, now here's... The, the taking of the promised land, okay? What we think about, certainly where Jesus lived, when we think about where the Israelites lived, he's talking about the taking of the promised land uh, right here in verse number 11. And you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorite and the Pezerite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or by your bow. And I gave you the land on which, listen to this, this is important, okay? This is important for what we're talking about today. Talking about the Israelites and the blessings God gave them. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So now... Joshua says, listen, I've, I've told you about all the things God has done for you. I've reminded about your history, Israelites. So now fear the Lord and serve him in integrity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And here's these verses we know. If it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father's which they serve beyond the Jordan, beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So here again, Joshua, the the mighty leader of the Israelites, who led them into the promised land that they had been promised for for a long, long time. Hundreds of years they had been promised this land Abraham had been. And they finally take possession of it. And he reminds them, hey, you know what God has done for you. You know what God did for Abraham. You know what God did for Isaac and Jacob. You know what God did with with Joseph in Egypt. You know what God did with Moses and Aaron and how he brought you out. And you had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, I, Joshua, God, led us into the promised land. You know all of these blessings. So here it is. Make up your mind. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live for? Put away those false gods. Put away anything else and don't settle for them, but seek something greater than what the world has to offer. That's what me and my house are going to do. What's the people's response? Absolutely. There's no way we wouldn't serve that God. God has blessed us immensely. Far be it from us to forsake the blessings that God has given to us. And they they reiterate that in verses 17 and 18, but... Notice this is, this is perhaps one of the most disheartening 
couple of verses, maybe in all the Bible. Joshua reminds them of these great blessings, and they say, there's no way we would serve any other God. Then Joshua responds to their response. And notice what he says in verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm to you and consume you as he has done good to you. Here we have in these verses the the wilderness wondering that Joshua talks about and then the promised land warning. Joshua, towards the end of his life, he's reminding the people, you know what God has done for you. It took them about seven years to conquer the promised land. So they crossed the Jordan, and for, for seven years, all 12 tribes, all of their, all of their uh, soldiers, all of their military men of, of that right age, they go around and they, they fight these different people that God has deemed. Uh, these folks are so evil, it's time for them to be punished. And Israelites, I'm going to use you to do that, and you're going to take over their land. It's, it's the giving of the promised land. It takes them seven years, and Joshua, no doubt, is tired. He's weary. He's an older man now. And the other people are tired and weary and they're, they're tired of battle. And Joshua reminds them of all the great blessings that God has given to them. And so it talks about the wilderness warning, but then Joshua gives them the promised land warning. So the wilderness wandering, the promised land warning. We would think that during those 40 years of not having a place to be, not having a place to live, not having a place to, to call home, that would be the, the most trying time. Maybe even the uh, the most uh, time where it would have been most likely for them to have fallen away from God. But Joshua is telling them here, this is going to be the time where it's going to be the hardest for you. As a matter of fact, he tells them, you're not going to be able to serve him. I know that you're going to fail. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're facing something new and, and somebody kind of like Joshua gives you a, a, you know, a, a pep talk and you're, you're kind of riled up and you yeah, we're going to do that. What if that same person who gave you that pep talk said, yeah, you're going to fail? You're losing this game. You don't have a chance. That wouldn't be very good, would it? But that's kind of what Joshua does here. Hey, make up your mind who you're going to serve today. Hey, we're going to serve the Lord. No, you won't. That's, that's pretty disheartening, isn't it? Joshua's not a very good motivational speaker here. So what can we, what can we learn from this? What, what can we gather from this? Again, think about those, those words. I hope this will stick with you and help us to understand a little bit. Wilderness wondering promised land warning when we would think when they receive the promised land that's been promised to them for generations when they finally get there we would think that's when they're the safest but joshua is telling them that's not when they're the safest when these blessings come to them is when they're going to be tempted the most to turn away from god it's of note that when we think about baal being the god of farming baal being the god of settling that some of the the greatest and most influential leaders of God's people were shepherds. People like Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David. Even God himself in Psalm 23, David describes him, the Lord is my shepherd. In John chapter 10 in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's significant. It's of note that even our leaders today in the church, we have elders, another name for them that we call them is shepherds it's of note that god's most influential i would dare say greatest leaders have experience in shepherding what's the difference between someone who is a shepherd versus someone who's a farmer shepherds travel around a lot shepherds 
can't stay in one place. Because if they stay in one place, the, the, the things that they're in charge of, the sheep that they're tend, to tend for, they'll, they'll eat everything that's there. They'll eat all the grass. They'll, they'll tear it up. And, and they'll have to eventually move on to the next place. There is a, a necessary movement, a necessary momentum, a necessary keeping going and pushing forward. And as we talked about last week, pressing on. And in all of these times, whether it's Abraham or Jacob or David or Jesus or God himself, all of these times they're warned, don't follow the gods of these people. Don't settle for them. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, of course, the greatest sermon probably ever recorded for us, uh, certainly the longest sermon of Jesus ever recorded that we have in the New Testament. Um, He speaks to this as he speaks to a, a number of different things. As we think about Baal being the God of settling, God being describing himself as a shepherd and the idea of, of movement and forward momentum and, and all of these types of things. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Skip down to verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not, the life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you worth more than they? And who of you by being worried had a single cubit or a single hour to his life. And why do you worry about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field as they grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Don't worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For all of these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Before we get to the idea of settling and how we tie this together. I love verse 33, don't you? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We just sang a song, seek ye first, earlier as we were worshiping. That's a beautiful verse, but, but how do you do that? It's a beautiful thought. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, how do I do that? It may be more than this, but I promise you it's not less than this. Okay, you may come up with a, a, a better answer, a more complete answer, a deeper answer than this, but I promise you you can't miss this part if you're seeking God. You won't even like this, maybe, because it's too simple. Okay? How do you seek God first and his righteousness? You can't do it without studying God's word. I promise you that. You can't. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to know what Jesus has to say. And the only place we know where Jesus has to say is by reading his word. So it it may be more than that, but it's not less. You need to pray. You need to pray every day. 
You need to pray not just when you're sitting down for a meal, thanking God for your food, but you need to, every time you face a problem or an issue or confusion or you don't know what to do or you just feel a need for something in your life, you need to stop and pray to God. And you don't have to pray beautifully. You don't have to pray eloquently. You don't have to even use the right words. Thankfully, the Lord, if you're a Christian, has given you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. And trust me, God understands the Holy Spirit perfectly. But you need to pray. It may be more than that, but seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness is not less than that. We need to practice. When we read these things and we understand, okay, God wants me to love my neighbor as myself. Okay, God doesn't want me to to steal or to cheat. God doesn't want me to do this, and he wants me to tell people about his son. God wants me to do these things. When we study God's word and we understand what God wants and we know what God wants, we may not be good at those things, but we need to practice those things. Well, how do you practice? Well, you do it. You do it. And you, you won't be perfect at it. You'll never be perfect at it. But you've got to do it. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness may be more than that, but I promise you it's not less than that. When we think about seeking God and seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, we need to study, we need to pray, we need to think about, we need to practice godly things greater and more often than earthly things. It's a process. And you will never be perfect at it, but you can always get better at it. We talked about Baal this morning. Baal, that, that God that we can understand why people in, a, in an agricultural society would, would want to have some sort of being that would help them. So we can under, I, can, I can wrap my mind around why Baal was a created God. They needed someone. They felt like they, they knew there was something greater because that's unavoidable if you look around creation. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. If you look around, clearly there's something greater. And for whatever reason, they didn't get, didn't get to the God of the Hebrews, so they, they created in their own minds, in their own hearts, they created this God without any evidence, perhaps. And they created this God, Baal. But we talked about how evil he was. He's the God of, of settling. And, and why, why would the Israelites, who knew the God of the Hebrews, because let me tell you the rest of the story. forgot to mention that. It's important. Joshua tells them, hey, Choose for yourselves today whom you're going to serve. Hey, there's no way we won't serve our God. Our God is great. Have you seen everything he's done for us? There's no way we won't serve him. Joshua says, you're not going to serve him. Years later, it takes some time, but years later, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, sacrifices his sons, burns them alive to Baal. And he, along with many other kings, both in Judah and Israel, follow Baal and the gods of the people around them. What Joshua said was absolutely right. And eventually, the kingdom is lost because of this. How did they get to that point? They've been given the promised land, a land that the Old Testament describes it multiple times, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land of abundance, a land of blessings, a land that they didn't have to, to cultivate or, or, or start from scratch and, and make it into what it was. They received it with completely built cities. They received it with complete vineyards. They received it with all of the blessings that God gave them and that they didn't even have to work for. How did they get to the point where they were willing to, to sacrifice their children? Baal's a God of settling. And my conclusion is the Israelites, and maybe us, they settled for comfort. They settled for provision. They settled 
for stuff. They thought that they had arrived because they were in the promised land and they forgot to follow their shepherd. Now, yes, God was giving them a land to live in and to possess and to be in, but he still wanted to be their shepherd. He still wanted to lead them. He see, for God, it was always something more than something physical. It was always something spiritual. And that's something that they lost, and maybe sometimes that's something that we lose because we settle and we recognize our blessings, but we forget the one who gave us those blessings. We forget the God who blessed us in those ways. They focused on where they were rather than where they were going and the God, the blessings that God had for them even beyond this life. They, again, perhaps like we, they sacrificed their morals, they sacrificed their children, and they sacrificed even their own God for comforts and other gods. They thought that they had arrived. And here's a question for you. Have you arrived in your life? Maybe you can think, uh, you know, financially, maybe you can think professionally in your family, but spiritually, have you arrived? Have you reached maturity have you reached completion are you where you need to be well here's my answer to this this is my answer and it would be a challenge that i put before you have you arrived well that depends on where you're going doesn't it if all you're interested in is earthly success then maybe you've arrived maybe you've gotten the promised land but if you like me are trying to get to eternity with god forever then I'm not there yet. And I'm not going to settle for what the world has to offer because I don't believe that it's as good as what God has to offer. Here's a question for us. Have we, and this is a question for me, so if it steps on your toes, notice it steps on mine too. Have we sacrificed our children to the television or the tablet or the phone just so we can have a little bit of peace and quiet? Have we sacrificed difficult conversations with our teenagers? Because we just would rather not have those conversations. Have we sacrificed the lost of this world? Because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We don't want to offend anybody. Have we sacrificed our morals Have we sacrificed our God for something that may not be called Baal anymore, but something that definitely still exists today? A God of comfort, a God of peace, or what we think of as peace, not being bothered really. A God of provision, a God that gives me what I want and I do what I want and I don't worry about anything else. Again, As far as I know, no one today worships a God by the name of Baal today, but billions of people today worship a God of comfort. Sometimes you do. Sometimes I do. Because I don't want to deal with that. So it's easier to say, okay, kids, go watch TV. To avoid those difficult conversations with people in my life that I need to have difficult conversations with. To talk to the person who lives beside me, and I'll raise my hand on this one. To talk to the person who lives beside me who's lost. Because I don't want to ruffle their feathers. And I don't want to make our relationship as neighbors strained. What have we sacrificed to a God of comfort 
that the God of all provision, our God, the one who wants to bless us immensely, who came and said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. What have we sacrificed to a God of comfort here on earth and denied the God that wants to give us more? For you, where are you at tonight, today? What have you given up? What have you sacrificed? What have you said, that's just too much. I'm not going to do that. And how would God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Father of Jesus, my God and your God, how well pleased would he be with you as you do that? Let's pray. Our God and Father, Lord, we come to you as people who far too often settle. We settle for good enough when you want to give us the best. We settle for what we have when you have something greater. We settle for comfort when difficulty would lead to better things. God, we settle to follow what the culture says is successful when you tell us not to worry about those things. God, I pray for me and for my family and for my family here at JA that we'll stop settling. That we'll do what you want us to do. That we will change our minds about what we think is successful and we'll seek what you would have us to seek, your kingdom and your righteousness, through study, through prayer, but also through practice, through living our lives daily for you. God, we have the, the message of the world uh, placed in front of us always. Lord, help us to help one another to place your message in front of us even more. God, we admit that we fail, and we're so thankful for your grace that forgives us of our sins. We ask for that forgiveness, that grace, and that mercy now. And as we leave this place and as we go back out into this world, Lord, protect us from it, guide us through it, and give us opportunities to help make other people recognize the truth of your word, your will, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, brothers and sisters, we've got work to do. We've got a Lord to follow. And I'm so excited about doing that. I know it's not easy. I struggle just as much as you do. I might struggle more than some of you do. But I'm going to keep struggling all the way to heaven. Because that's where I'm going. I'm not there yet. But that's where I'm going. If you're a Christian this morning, I encourage you to struggle. Keep pushing through. Keep carrying on. Set your mind on things above rather than things of the earth. If you're not a Christian this morning, I know the world looks awfully good, and it's got some great things. But the problem with the world is every time you get something that the world has to offer, at some point it will always fail. My God does not fail. He allows me to go through some difficulty, but my God does not fail. If you want to know more about my God, the God of the Bible, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're familiar with that God and you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God, you're willing to confess him as your Lord and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins so that you can rise up a new creature, all of those past sins washed away, and begin to walk after him each and every day, we're ready to help you do that right now. If we can help you in any way, brothers and sisters, or if you're not a Christian yet, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.